I'd like to invite you just to stand with me in honor of the Word of God. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn to Matthew's Gospel, uh, chapter 26. We're reading from verse 20 through to 34. I hope we have it right. Oh, I don't have all of it up there, so you may have to listen um, or actually open a Bible. If you're close to one, peek over. I'm going to read a little bit more than I gave um, our uh, visual team back there. Matthew chapter 26, reading from verse 20. To 34. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. And the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. Father, this morning we are your church gathered around your presence. I pray that in these next few moments, through the simplicity of human meditation and thought, your profound wisdom and truth would speak to our hearts and direct our lives. I pray for a special anointing this morning. I dare to ask that you would fill my words with your grace and with your truth, that you would direct my mind through the power of your Spirit, that what I speak would be in accordance with your word, that it would be truth that is helpful, truth that is challenging, and truth that is transformational. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Just before you seat, sit, would you just say, uh, let the Lord speak to us this morning. You don't have to say it that way, but would you turn to the person next to you and say, I'm open to hearing what God wants me to hear. Can you do that? Oh, you're so uncomfortable, folks. Uh, I'm open. I'm open, right? Okay, are you open? Simon, are you open? Okay, you may be seated. I thought in these uh, weeks that have passed, I, um, I would do things like that just to kind of get you to uh, loosen up a little bit. 
Uh, this morning, I want to speak to you on a theme that I think is really important. Uh, we are reflecting on different ways of understanding the Lord's Supper. And dare I say this morning that nothing can be more important than this particular theme. In fact, if you were to study Matthew's Gospel, you will find that in the opening of the Gospel of Matthew, the angel appears to Joseph. Joseph, betrothed to Mary, probably young teenagers, has just heard that Mary is expecting, and somehow this is on account of God. And Moses, uh, Joseph responds in the way that maybe is common or maybe is more common to, to us as human beings than, than we'd like to believe. He responds with some doubt as to what God is doing. In fact, so much so that the scripture teaches us that Joseph was considering to divorce her. Now, back in those days when you were betrothed, even though you hadn't had the official marriage ceremony, it is as good as done. If you're engaged, you're in, you're committed, you're going all the way. And it says that he was thinking about leaving her when the angel of the Lord appeared and said, listen, let me tell you about the person who is to come, who she's expecting. Did you know the word Jesus, of course, means salvation? And this is what the angel says, uh, you know, that, that this child that is to be born is Jesus and he will be the savior of his people. That Jesus came for this purpose of salvation. Jesus came for this purpose of forgiveness of sins. The reason he came is not healing primarily. The reason he came is not just prophetic uh, ministry. But the primary reason in Matthew's gospel that Jesus came is to this one important fact and purpose. That is the forgiveness of sins. Then you jump a few chapters ahead in Matthew's gospel and you come to chapter 9 where Jesus just gets out of a boat. Whenever Jesus travels somewhere, there's always a purpose and an intention behind it. And Jesus gets out of this boat and as he gets out of the boat, he is confronted by a group of men who must have had faith in Jesus' healing ability. They carried this paralyzed man on a mat into his presence and they bring him before Jesus. And do you know what the first thing is that Jesus notes this man needs? Is not healing. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. When he says this, the Pharisees and the religious leaders who heard this utterance said, what blasphemy is this? For only God can forgive sins. And then the scripture tells us that Jesus knowing what they thought. Isn't that a sobering thought? That Jesus knows what I'm thinking. And the scripture says, Jesus knowing what were in their minds said this, what is easier to do? To heal a paralyzed man or to forgive his sins? And then he says this, but so that you would believe the Son of Man has been given authority to forgive sins. He heals the man, tells him to take up his mat and walk. And there in that very, uh, that very narrative again, we are taught that the primacy of Jesus' ministry is that which only God can offer and do. That what Matthew wants you and me to grapple with in the particular text is this, that Jesus has come to forgive sins and only God can forgive sins. Hence that only Jesus can forgive, forgive sins and Jesus is God in flesh. Now the reason why this does not excite as much is because much like the people in Jesus' day, what we want Jesus to do is to do that which we think is most important. 
The paralyzed man, by all accounts, if I was there, I would say, well, it's clear what his deepest need is. It is very evident that he needs to be healed. Isn't it interesting that part of the reason why we don't appreciate uh, maybe what this table means is that we lack the same discernment to understand the depth of what Jesus can do in our lives. That it is much more than giving us what we think we need, but it is pardoning us of that which we have no power to change in and of ourselves. That what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is not just a miracle worker. Jesus is not just a prophet with great truth, but that Christ alone is the one that is able to forgive man of their deepest sin, to which God's people says, Amen. Do you believe this morning that Jesus has forgiven you? Do you believe that you sit here as one forgiven by Him? Uh, over the years uh, in ministry and, and in life on a personal level, I have dealt with either the need to be forgiven or the need to offer forgiveness. Uh, you all are very familiar with the many stories that I am now repeating in my fifth year of ministry here. I pray that I have much more interesting life moving ahead so that I have better stories to tell. But for now, this is what I have. Uh, the man who was uh, the, uh, the drunk driver who who drove the vehicle into my family vehicle and thereby uh, creating this accident that took the life of my mom, dad, brother, and sister, I have never met. I have never seen. Uh, I heard that he, uh, that he suffered a broken arm, if I remember the story correctly. Uh, he was never really tested to see whether, you know, how intoxicated he was. People at the scene, witnesses told us later on that they, they, they could discern that this man was drinking. I had moved here after this accident. I had been uh, ministering for a number of years when I was in contact with my brother. And my brother said that he heard that this man had tried to reach out to us. And uh, when my brother shared this with me, it, it started to trigger something in my heart and mind. It triggered this desire, maybe, or this, this, this interest to want to meet the man. Now, I can honestly say to you, and I, I mean this sincerely, that ever since this particular event took place, that has changed my life forever. You know, when we lose, you know, it, it is a loss that lives with us. Can I just say that? Uh, nothing replaces the people that we share this life with. You know what I'm talking about, many of you who have lost someone you love. And there is a pain there, but Jesus, and, and through God's Spirit, I believe He gives us strength to live each day. And He even, by His grace, gives us the, uh, the, 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 the possibility of having a full life despite our losses. Not to diminish what such a loss meant, but to say that God's grace is so sufficient that He can carry us in this world and fill us in this world with purpose. And so when, 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 when I heard this, it triggered this desire in my heart to meet this man. I tried to make inquiries until this day I can say, I wish I could tell you that I got the chance to see him face to face and to do what was in my mind. And I'm not sure if my heart or my strength would have carried me to such an end to offer him maybe the forgiveness that maybe he was seeking because I could not fathom in my own mind what it would be to live your entire life knowing that your action resulted in the death of people. 
And I felt this deep desire within me to offer him that forgiveness. I, I don't even know if it is mine to offer. I don't even know if, if, if really, to be honest with you, if that would have been transforming to him. But the reason I believe more and more that I felt this inclination, this desire within me, is because intuitively I know what it's like to live as somebody who is living with guilt. Intuitively, I know what it feels like to be somebody who feels like I've done something that I need forgiven of. But can I say to you that in our culture today, Jesus as the forgiver of sins, Jesus is the one who opens up the door to God, is not that appealing. For in our culture, we do not believe any longer that sin is a reality that we need forgiveness from. What is sin? Is it when I make poor decisions? Is it when I watch things I ought not to watch? Is it when I steal? Is it when I do all these things? I would say yes, but sin is so much more. Sin is the inability and the the, 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 the incapacity of the human being to live in the way that God wants them to live. It is not just the action. It is actually the inability to truly be that which God has called us to do. And when we live as people who are aware that we are in Incapable, it opens our eyes to the truth of the one that we truly need, for only He can save us from our sins. I don't know what kind of Jesus you're looking for. Maybe right now you need Jesus to be a, a healer, and He can be. Isn't that good news? Maybe right now you need Jesus to be a reconciler. Maybe you right now need Jesus to be, uh, you know, something that, someone that can help you and be a provider in an area of need. And Jesus may or may not respond. But can I say to you, what makes him categorically our savior beyond all else in this world is the fact that he forgives us and he pardons us, and he makes us that which we cannot be in our own strength. And therefore, the saints who have gone before us all will testify to this truth. If he does not do one more thing for me in my life, what he has done through Christ is more than sufficient. What does the text this morning teach us about forgiveness? I think it teaches us that forgiveness is costly. Jesus is uh, at the Passover meal. He is eating with his 12 disciples. The Passover, of course, uh, harkens back to the Egyptian captivity of the Israelites. The word Passover itself, as you would know, is a, is, a, is, a, is a word that describes what happened when the angel of death moved and passed over the homes upon which the blood of an animal was posted across the doorpost. The Israelites would have understood intuitively, and so would the twelve disciples as they sat at this Passover meal, that God had been their savior, but that salvation cost the life of an animal. In fact, I would put it to you this way, the Israelites would understand that salvation through forgiveness comes not without a price, but is costly. Not only that, but they would have understood that the God who saved them by sparing them and leading them out of captivity was a God who made a strong covenant with them. A God who says, I will be your God, you will be my people. And for anyone who knows the Old Testament, you know that these people like you and me consistently missed the mark. They couldn't live in to what God wanted them to be. And time upon time, God was the sustainer and the one who kept the 
covenant alive, for the people were inadequate, but he was not. But can I put it in this context? The reason why forgiveness is costly is because every time the people failed, someone paid the price. In most cases, it was God who suffered. Do you know that it will cost you and me, as people who follow Jesus Christ, who desires to live as once forgiven, the, 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 the kind of lifestyle uh, that, that Jesus calls us to is one in which we too would live as people who offer us forgiveness. No one who offers forgiveness does not do so without a cost to themselves. The reason why forgiveness is maybe not as appealing to us is because we have made it seem that it does not really, it does not really come at a price. Let me put it in a different way or light. When between husband and wife there is unforgiveness, there's always the potential that that would affect children. When between significant family members there is unforgiveness, the impact is made. Uh, People have shared their stories with me and they've spoken about unforgiveness in their life that have gone on for generations and generations. And we learn to kind of live with that unforgiving spirit within us. Can I say this to you today? That whenever we do not forgive, it does not only hurt us and hurt others, but it keeps us from truly understanding why we need Jesus. Can I say this to you today? That in order to be a person that forgives others, it will cost you. You say, what will it cost me? Courage. Uh, would it cost me uh, embarrassment? Would it cost me, uh, what, Stu, what would it cost me to be a person of forgiveness? I, th- I, I don't know what it would be for you, but I can tell you this, that to forgive others comes at a cost. It is not easy. Maybe this is the reason why it is hard for many to let go. Jesus at the table says that it's going to cost me my life in order to offer this forgiveness. And in uh, the book of Hebrews, we are taught that, 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 that the law required that everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood, there will be no forgiveness. They understood that blood would be shed in order for forgiveness to come and that what they refused to believe and accept as disciples is that the blood would no longer be that of an animal but that of their savior, their master, and their friend. The cost of his sacrifice to forgive implies that you and I thank God for Jesus Christ, who at great cost to himself has given you and me more than we deserve. One of the most transforming experiences in my personal life, and now I'm, I'm, I'm testifying a little bit, one of the, someone lost a diamond earring, you can see me afterwards. I'm just kidding, it's not a diamond earring, but uh, some of you were falling asleep. Um, one of the, uh, the most transforming experiences in my marriage has been uh, at moments, and uh, I, can, I can say they're growing less, these moments. Uh, but it's been one of the moments in which Ruthann, at my worst, has offered me that kind of grace and forgiveness. Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm not perfect, as many of you know. I know, I know, Sandy, what you're thinking. It's not true, uh, but it is. Uh, there's many times where I don't 
make the mark. Can I get an amen? Uh, not, not for me not making the mark, for you being honest that you don't make the mark. And uh, I'm always trying to, to, to understand this God-man relationship through my own experiences. And, and, and I'm trying to grapple with, with helping us to maybe get beyond just the theology this morning, or even myself beyond theology, to maybe appropriating this in a very personal manner. All, all, be that, all, all that to say, have you ever been given forgiveness when you truly knew that you did not deserve to be forgiven? Do you know what that feels like? That, that, that such forgiveness that maybe has brought pain to somebody else. That such forgiveness that has had consequences. You know, uh, we as Christians, when it comes to sin, this is, this is how we, we tend to approach it. We say, Jesus, forgive me my sins and save me from all the consequences. Y- you know, I, I got to be honest with you. that I, I don't think that's what happens. I don't think Jesus saves us from the consequences I- I- in this world of our actions. Does he save us from, from, from everything that sin was, was pushed upon us and would make us and would destroy us? Yes, but there are many times when we live into the consequences of disobedience. We live into that. Why? Because the grace of God wants to teach us. The grace of God wants to really redeem us. People who know that they have been forgiven are much more gracious for they understand that forgiveness comes at a great, great cost. But not only does is forgiveness costly, but it is transformative. I uh, look at the particular scripture and there's two men that are highlighted in the text. The first is Judas. Judas is the betrayer. Judas has a bad reputation, and rightly so. 30 pieces of silver sells Jesus out. In fact, before I read the text, we are told that he took the money and uh, he was ready to sell Jesus out. And then when Jesus engages Judas in the conversation, almost a cross-examination, Judas says, it will not be me, will it? And Jesus says, you have said it. Now, when I look at that particular narrative, I, I, I try to say to myself, how does this apply to me? I, I don't think I'm a Judas. I... Can I be honest with you? I am not a Judas. You know, that's how I feel. I'm not a Judas. I'm not going to intentionally betray Jesus. So I started to think about the motivation behind Judas, and I thought, you know, the reason Judas does what he does is because is because maybe he wants to personally gain. Maybe he doesn't understand truly who Jesus is. But it seems like the way the narrative is told to us that Judas had his own interest at heart beyond that of Jesus and the disciples. And that he was not only deceptive, but he lied to the face of Jesus, implying that he was not. And I thought, Lord, if I preach this to my congregation, I don't think there's anybody in my congregation that's Judas. I hope not. And most of us probably in this narrative can least resonate with Judas. But Peter, oh, Peter is us. Peter is me. Peter is the one that in moments of great enlightenment and joy and truth says and proclaims that I will be faithful to you. Have you ever done that? 
that I will stick with you, Jesus. I will be the one that when everybody else turns it out by my, I will make it. And you see, Peter is the one that doesn't let me get away with the story untouched because Peter makes this incredible statement to Jesus. I will not do what you said that I would do. Have you ever been in a place where you've made that kind of sincere commitment where you've said, Father, what you've called me to do, I will do? Have you ever been in a place where you've bent your knees and you said, I want to get over the sin. I want to get over the weakness. I want to get over the failure. Can I get a witness? Have you ever been in a place where you've said that you will be faithful only to find yourself incapable of living into that which you have committed? I have, and I know many of us here too. Do you see the power of the narrative in the following way? That Jesus at the table, knowing the heart of Judas and each disciple and Peter, offers them a forgiveness that goes beyond what they would do. A forgiveness that says, I will die to redeem you despite your best efforts. I am still the one who is capable to forgive. That it is not by Peter's merit, strong will, or ability that he is saved. That even in moments when you and I feel our strongest, let us recognize that without the grace of God, we will fail. That what forgiveness is ultimately in this particular text is not only costly, but it is a transforming forgiveness for when Christ is resurrected from the dead and meets Peter, Peter is restored. I think that what Pastor Jeff quoted when he spoke to our children ought to be remembered amongst his people. That while we were yet sinners, he died in our place. What a savior. He ate with just about anyone. He sat with disciples that, according to the Gospels, their words far outweighed their abilities. He called the the men that didn't make the rabbinic schools, did not become rabbis, were not the best of the best. And he called them unto himself. He opened up his life to just about anyone. And the truth be told, that he did so for one primary reason, to forgive men of that which holds them from God. This morning, as we think about forgiveness in our own lives, And as I was doing some reading, I realized that Matthew is filled with the theme of forgiveness. I recognize that to be forgiven of God requires faith, to believe that in Jesus Christ we are truly forgiven. That as Gary is fond of quoting, he would say when Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. I believe this morning that such forgiveness ought to transform us. I don't know who I'm speaking to, and I mean this sincerely as I prepared this, but maybe God has been laying on your heart the need to let go. Maybe God has been laying on your heart the need to offer the kind of forgiveness that will cost you something. 
maybe God is calling you uh, to recognize not only your place at the table with Jesus, but that Jesus calls his disciples to do as he did. Maybe for the sake of um, our children as married people, we need to find out if this is what God is saying to us today. Uh, maybe some of us young people here need to examine our own hearts and see if there are things that we too are holding on to. I believe that true growth through the Spirit of God does not come when we hold on to things like unforgiving spirit. Jesus says that this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. You know what I love about that particular text is the promise that Jesus makes. He says, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine again now until I drink it with you in the kingdom. You know what it teaches me about Jesus' forgiveness? Is that it is true. He says, what I will do for you will ensure that we will be together again. I think most of my Christian life is trying to believe that I'm actually forgiven. It's the struggle with living in that true grace and that true freedom. And the reason why I need it as much as you do to come here on Sunday and to worship together is to be reminded that I live my life as the one who has been forgiven by Him. I ask you to sincerely, and I mean this, pray that I would have that grace and opportunity, if by God's will, to meet that man. It's a real, real honest, sincere desire. Uh, I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to live that way. But I also pray that you will, if God has laid on your heart here today, this is, I know it's a very different message. That's okay, right? <laughs> and maybe this is not for everybody. Maybe you're sitting there, you're going, you know what, Stu, I'm okay. People love me. I love people. All good. But maybe it's for that one person here who's sitting here and you know that there is something in relationship with others. There's something that God needs to heal. There's something that needs to be let go of. And he's asking you to take that step. This morning as we prepare to participate in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's table, it is he who knows every thought of each disciple. I'm glad he does and I don't. <laughs> uh, he knows our heart. He knows what we're dealing with. He knows what we're thinking. He even knows what we're planning. And it is that Savior that invites us to come to this table to remember that he forgives and truly does. I think that, um, that it's only appropriate as Helen leads us through a song of reflection and maybe even a song in which you want to think about what God is calling you to do or who he is laying on your heart to maybe approach and seek forgiveness and reconciliation, that you make that the prayer of your heart and say, Father, search my heart, search my mind. Um, what is there in me that needs your healing, your forgiveness? And who do I need to forgive? The most Christian thing the text tells us that we can do when we pray 
is to pray that God would forgive us and that we would forgive others. Would you bow your heads this morning and allow the Spirit of God to work and speak, maybe even convict. For where would we be without the forgiveness of Christ? Father, this morning as we prepared a simple way to participate in a ritual. I thank you so much that you are teaching me what forgiveness means. Sometimes it's hard to let go. Sometimes, Father, we can hold on to things for years and years. Some of us this morning so desperately want to live with that freedom. The freedom in our conscience, the freedom in our relationships that we so desperately long for, but we lack maybe the ability or the courage to move forward. I pray that through your word today, you would encourage us to take that first step. That first step towards believing that you truly forgive us. And so if there is anyone here today, if there's anyone who feels the weight and the guilt of past decisions that have made them live into realities and positions in their life that they wish they had never ended up in, I pray that by your grace you would make known that you welcome them to your table to receive from you your grace and your mercy. I pray that if there is any marriage amongst us in which there is that need, I pray that by your grace and by your mercy we would find the courage to reconcile with one another and before you. I pray that if there's any unbroken relationship within our life, that we would find the grace and the courage to step forward as those who are willing to say that I'm sorry. Father, now would you minister through your Spirit In Jesus' mighty name, amen.